So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. So on Facebook, it's at Folk on Falcons. Uh, again, for Twitter, simply at Folk on Falcons. And if you'd like to send us an email, it's folkonfalcons at mail.com. This week we'll um, talk about a couple of disappointing defeats for both England and our beloved Newcastle Falcons. Going round up for the Premiership and the other Six Nations matches amongst some other rugby chat. So, without further ado, the obvious place to start is... Another, another defeat to Exeter, at least we got a bonus point this time. But once again, I think that we all come away from that feeling like there's more to get from the game. Yeah, absolutely. I think the main positive, as you say, is, well, it's a bonus point. But we could have, and I think in some ways should have won that. Um, it was as we said last week, Exeter weren't in the best form and they weren't great today. Um, and I think in many ways they were there for the taking. But our attack just never got going. Um, and again, it was the odd unforced error and a couple of really odd brainless decisions, which in the end cost us. And it's all about, again, it's all about accuracy and taking chances. And Exeter have always been really good at that. And even if they weren't as good as normal with that, it was good enough today. Yeah, we, we held them to 15 points. And that might be one of the worst um, attacking performances Exeter have put in all season. But we only scored nine, so we lost it, obviously. And going through the match, we had our chances in the lead when we were in the first start of the first half. We kicked a penalty or two. But once again, we just never really had anything going forward. Yeah, I mean, defensively, as usual, um, we're, we're pretty sound for almost the whole game. Um, maybe a little suspect for their second try, though the way it was charged down probably didn't help in terms of the setup of the defence. But it's as you say, it's going forward. We're just missing that, that X factor in attack. It just seemed to be, as it had been the past couple of weeks, where it goes side to side, there's no penetration, Eventually, it just kind of goes back to your Hodgson or your Conan or your scrum off, and he just kicks it straight back to them, and it just comes back again, which means that for the whole game, we're kind of playing it round the halfway line and round in our half. And and again, discipline wasn't great again today. And if you're going to, even at Exeter, I think probably gave as many penalties as we did. But the point is, because the whole game was, of course, sort of an hour half or on the halfway line, if they get penalties, they're in good positions to get points. If we get penalties, we clear it not penetrated an attack and then just get turned over or whatever. So, uh, yeah, so in terms of general style of play and how the game goes, that's really the difference. Yeah, um, looking at the league table as well, we've got the... It's a bit difficult to tell this year because obviously the um, the nature of uh, matches being abandoned or cancelled, what you maybe call them. But we've got our defences within 11 points of the best defence in the league, but we've got the second worst attack. And I think that reflects itself in our... Uh, Lack of a winning bonus point this year, but still being able to call ourselves comfortably mid-table. We just yeah, have a cutting edge. Yeah, I think that the table doesn't really lie. I know you have a, some odd anomalies like London Irish being ahead of us despite losing more games, but then that's the issue of not picking up the bonus points. Um, but I think mid-table is probably a decent reflection of where we are right now. The defence has kind of has been our foundation, the organisation. Obviously, there's a very strong team spirit, which kind of leads on to that. But yeah, it's just that extra bit of quality going forward in attack, which I guess is the, always the hardest piece of the puzzle. And I guess that our lack of quality by the time we need to take injuries consideration of the players missing is what's going to cost us. And that's why, obviously, we're... 
you know, we're looking at middle of the table now rather than the dizzy heights of second and one point top. The match itself today, we got off to a reasonably good start. Got a penalty early on, went ahead. We then conceded a penalty and they kicked it to the corner. And as is always the case with Exeter, they managed to get points off that sort of field position, whereas we tend not to. Um, Simmons bundled over for a, yes, another one of his tries. Looks like he's going to get the premiership scoring record then we never really got back in the game properly we were always just about in contact but never really looked like we were going to endanger the um extra try line and then at the end of the first half we got our first bit of uh, time in there 22 got a couple of penalties kicks the corner and if i'm honest i think x were very lucky not to have another penalty conceded or at least maybe a man in the sim bin yeah um it wasn't really made much of an incident really but obviously the tap and go with mcguigan right on half time you you actually had it straight away i didn't pick it up initially but quite clearly he did get a tackle to the head or very you know forceful go at the head and genuinely i believe that if that was at any other time of the match they would have stopped it because it was quite obvious it was a head injury they would have stopped the game and they probably would have looked at it simply because it was because it was a head injury but you know very frustratingly the fact just because it was half time just seemed to be that they stopped refereeing it um and let it go as i say it wasn't really made much of but that could have been crucial because not only could it have been obviously we could have got some points from that but even if we didn't you could have had potentially exited down to 14 men going into the second half so that may well have had a significant difference so that could have changed the game and it's really frustrating and disappointing that that wasn't picked up or it just seemed to be you know the case that well it's half time that's it let's just go at the sheds and warm up never mind actually refereeing the game how it should be so that was really frustrating and quite disappointed it wasn't picked up more yeah i can only think that the video ref went off to get his bovril as soon as the whistle went and didn't bother looking at any of the footage but also i think perhaps there is a role for the captain to play there um there didn't seem to be any conversation with the referee saying just hang on a second um extra all sprinted off the pitch as soon as the whistle went but i think if falcons had basically stayed around and pointed out to the referee that mcgregor had copped one then there might have been um, a bit more of a, a look at it yeah no i think you're right i mean obviously it's not for the captain roberts in this case to referee the game but he does have a role to play if you know we've we got to assume that it was clear enough for them to perhaps see that it was a, a go at the you know it was a tackle to the head um but yeah i think you're right more should have been made of that but again the tv official is the one who's obviously watching it on the tv and he should be aware and trained to sort of look out for that sort of thing and it was quite obvious from mcguigan's body position after a few seconds that he'd take a knock to the head something was not right and as a especially if, you know all the talk about head injuries and all the awareness of it now the tv official should should that should be a red flag for him he should say oh he should tell the referee i think we've got a head injury here stop the game and we'll, i'll have a look at it and you know and if if it if it wasn't a foul, so be it. It's not a foul. But the point is, you've got to referee the game. You've got to have a look at it. And they just didn't for some reason. I'm also well aware that um, other teams in the Premiership, let's say, you'd have had four or five of them waving their arms around and shouting quite vociferously. We, I'm quite pleased to say we're not one of the teams that behaves like that. But I feel if there were certain other largely London-based clubs playing, then there'd have been very different um, sort of intimidation of the referee on pitch. Maybe we're just too honest. Um, but... Also, maybe start a personnel. Perhaps if you had, you know, you, you like some Mickey Youngs or even Floods on the pitch, they would have been more vocal and made a bit more of a go at it. Um, something to perhaps be more streetwise about going forward. But, you know, it's not a situation you want to be in anyway. Of course, we don't want our players getting serious head injuries. Again, I think it, it's not up to the players, though. It's not their responsibility. You know, we shouldn't be criticising them for being too honest, even though, you know, they should maybe it's a bit of gamesmanship. But, uh, yeah, I think that's really poor on the referee. And I do hope that at least 
some sort of retrospect no not retrospective but at least it's kind of taken note of in that this thing this kind of situation doesn't happen again going forward yeah in general um the referee said i don't think he was at all biased he didn't make the obvious decisions he, i can't remember him giving a single penalty for not rolling away in the whole match or a single penalty for going off the feet or th- there were a lot of times when what seemed like pretty obvious offenses were not penalized and he seemed to pick a few more obscure ones to blow his whistle for um, i don't think he was doing it with any sense of bias but i just feel that was, he seemed a bit inexperienced i've not seen him before um i'm not sure whether he's kind of a because there's a few referees in the six nations perhaps he's filling in where others might normally do the job i don't know yeah i mean as you say i think in terms of penalty count i mean i could be wrong but just from just the impression i got was that it was pretty even but as you say there were certain things from both sides potentially where i know there was that will witty one actually uh, which they mentioned um off of his feet earlier on which again could have proved crucial earlier on in the match but um i think his penalty count was pretty identical and he was pretty fair in terms of both of us but just whether as you say he sort of picked up on things which weren't so obvious which you have to question perhaps and think and didn't ping anyone for things that were more obvious yeah as you say it could just be an experience and just unfortunate you get some of these referees sometimes second half oh throughout the whole match even we got a lot of fall and broken play when there's a lot of um, fumbling of the passes and things going to ground and getting hoofed forward and when when you th- hold our hands up we're not as good a team as Exeter and when you're not as good a team as the opposition if you get the ball you should keep it you just kick it back to them down the middle of the pitch and our entire back three and our half-backs just seemed intent on hoofing the ball to their full-back on the 22 every single t- time we got it in hand with a bit of space. And I'd have much rather we ran up to the 10-metre line halfway and got tackled and set up and had as many phases as we want than we just aimlessly hoof it and then they kick it over our heads or we kick it straight into touch or we give away a penalty. Or I just feel that there's a complete lack of structure especially in the second half we just seem to not know what we were doing and not have any strategy for how we're going to try and get back into the game yeah well i mean that's what sort of leads on what i said before in terms of how the whole match just seemed to play on the halfway line or our half because you know we would do a few phases and then just kick it away and we would generally lose that kicking battle so if you lose a kicking battle and you're trying to play a possession game you're obviously going to be back towards your try line rather than the opposition's and it just seems just as you say a bit sort of devoid of ideas and when they were kicking they just the kicks weren't good enough it was just always straight down their throat it was never over their head or if there was that one when Colin just kicked it too far and went all the way back which was a bit unfortunate I suppose but was sort of indicative of of just the accuracy wasn't there yeah um yeah and all that just sort of as I say leads to the fact that we were playing the game pretty much in those areas of halfway line in our half and in terms of when when we gave away the penalties obviously it put them in much better positions and as you say if we play ball in hand you know you, you can't beat any team am I next if you don't have the ball if you kick it away all the time extra aren't going to drop it every other you know catch they're not going to make too many mistakes you're not going to get the ball you won't win so you've got to kind of you've got to have the ball and as you say if you at least you try and have a go you try and get some phases maybe you can generate penalties it's better than just kicking it away receiving it and then just sort of running up to a worse position you were anyway yeah um apart from once when wakoki koki in the first half um competed for it, i can't remember a single time when we actually competed with them for the ball in the air, whereas pretty much every time or every other time, at least, they hoofed it. They do Gary Owen or just a long kick. They were applying pressure to the catcher and not giving 
us the time that we were giving them to return it. Yeah, well, I mean, competing in the air isn't our strong point anyway. So that's the other thing. You know, why are we playing a game that isn't our strength? Our strength is being tight and organised in the forwards. Um, especially, I think if you had Flood on there, perhaps it brings a bit more control. Uh, it was probably a big miss today. But, you know, we're not. it was kind of playing out of a sense of, I wouldn't say panic, but just devoid of ideas and not really sort of having the confidence or know how to kind of play to, to our strengths. I think if we had kept it tied, especially in those sort of conditions, we probably could have generated some sort of penalties. And I don't think it would have been any worse than, than losing a, a kicking battle, really. Yeah, um, I know there were a couple of changes of personnel um, this week. We had Owen in the centre and Koki um, on the wing and late call-up. Um, and obviously the internationals affect us again. Do you think there was quite obviously a lack of players playing with each other today? Or do you think it was just a all around a bit of um, aimlessness? Um, probably various factors, I think. Firstly, the fact that the players who obviously did go in the team arrive out, well, for example, out of position or just inferior to the ones who they've replaced, uh, which obviously never helps. Um, but I think also, and Richard's made the point in his interview on BT at the end, the fact that the fact that we haven't had any European games means a lot of these fringe players haven't had a lot of game time. So they're sort of thrown in at the deep end of us at a you know, in a game with tough conditions against Exeter and they have to try and sort of fit into a pattern and a, and a shape which they haven't played a lot in recently. So I think the combination of probably inferior quality player and rustiness just doesn't help. Yeah, you mentioned Dean Richards' interview at the end. Something that both of us remarked upon to each other as it happened was what on earth was Kyle Cooper doing? Tapping and going with that penalty on just inside the extra half. Two minutes left on the clock. Why on earth did we not kick for the corner? Yeah, um, I mean, it's I was lost for words. It's just brainless. It's stupid. There's no other way to, to put it. I don't know, especially he's obviously a very experienced player. And what is going through his head? You just, again, maybe this is something that Robinson could have, as captain, could have just said, you know, let's calm down. You know, we're in a good position here. We can still win this game. Let's not do anything rash or stupid. But, you know, you just, well, I don't know what he expected to do. Did he just expect sort of the extra defence to part from the sprint under the post? Bizarre. And I, you know, I think that and perhaps the Troder charge down were the two crucial points in the game, which, which cost us. Um, I mean, as you say, Richards mentioned it, and even though he hit it well, he must be absolutely furious at that. I'm sure everyone else was actually. Um, I, I mean, Yes, I know in the end, I guess, from the couple of phases, we did make about five metres or something. But, I mean, we could have just kicked it the corner. And, yeah, I mean, obviously, we know why it was better kicking the corner. We don't need me to tell you that. But, yeah, it's it's but it's but it's decisions like that. It's these stupid errors that have cost us. And and that, that has been, I think, the most absolutely obvious one. Because it wasn't even like, you know, an unfortunate piece of bad play under any sort of pressure. It was just complete pure stupidity, which potentially cost us three points. Yeah, um, if it was your scrum half or Adam Radwan or something, and they'd do it, you kind of know what they're trying to do. There might be a half gap and players retreating. Uh, if it was a front rower doing it from five yards out, you might kind of understand it because they could trundle over. But for your old hooker slash now prop to try and do it from halfway it's just brainless stupidity one other thing that you say well they say there's two instances um that kind of define the match um i would say that their second trial of, of also um was quite telling of the match as a whole when cuthbert got it on the 22 and he just kind of waltzed around the outside of hodgson and then um 
Cooper Vuna put in quite a, if I'm honest, quite a poor tackle for a one-on-one with a winger. I think that just shows the, the difference in class between our backs and theirs, particularly in the out, on the outside. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, it's such fine margins, and just having that little bit of, of class can can make the difference in these sort of tight games. Um, it also kind of showed our weakness that we are often a little sort of narrow in defence, especially out wide at times. Um, you know, we see it almost every game, and more often than not, they actually get away with it. But um, yeah, I mean, Cuthbert's a big unit anyway. And I think in many ways, it was obviously a mis- mismatch between Bruner and Hodgson, both of them trying to have a go at him. But yeah, I mean, that, that's the difference. And that's what we're missing, really, because, you know, they got the opportunity, they were clinical and they took it. And, you know, barring some sort of sale miracle again, I think everyone sort of deep down knew that was probably going to be the end of the match. And yeah, I guess it was a bit like London Irish last week where they had their from the scrum, the wonderful try they scored there. Again, we were sort of narrowing defence and similar sort of thing, really. Yeah, you say um, at that point everyone knew kind of that was the match. I'm, I'm not sure I did because I felt that um, we made a couple of changes and Sam Stewart came on. And I think that almost changed the game. I think if there was another five or ten minutes in that match, we would have got back in there 22 and possibly had a chance at some points. It just seemed that, I, if I'm honest, I'm not sure that Schroeder is linking up at the minute. He, he doesn't seem like he's playing on the same wavelength as the rest of the team. Um, I said it last week to you, I didn't mention it in the podcast, but it seemed like every single breakdown he was just laughing and chatting with the referee. He wasn't getting it, he wasn't being niggly at the other scrum half, and it's quite slow ball he seems to provide a lot of time, whereas Stewart, he, he just gets quick ball and that when we strung a load of phases together yeah we weren't going far but when you're a defender and you keep having to reset and reset and reset and the ball's only the ruck for a second or two it makes it a lot trickier to get any sort of structure and know what you're doing and know what you're doing is right than when we're just taking age like we seem to for the first 60 minutes yeah no I agree with that um, I think the main criticism of Australia is just seems to be so slow at the base at the breakdown in the scrum and I don't know if it's just from the fact he's come maybe when he's been playing South Africa they, they've due to the nature of maybe the, of the game there it's just tends to be slower it's more physical there and he has the time to do that but in the premiership he doesn't have the time and it's not how we want to play because if the way we play in terms of we try and keep it tight in the forwards very often that's where our main threat is or if we do try and try and get out the back so you try and get to your radwans or bash it up in the middle you need quick ball for that because in the certainly in the premiership at least if you do slow ball you know your teams again the defense is going to just going to reset and just eat you up straight away and it's just going to be telegraph because it's so slow and it just needs to speed up i don't know i mean maybe he's just still settling in but at the moment it's a bit of a disappointing signing in an area which we thought we really need strengthening in and i don't know how long mickey young is going to be out but quite frankly if he's fully fit i'd, I'd start him if you had to describe Schroeder as a sort of scrum half, I wouldn't call him a Fafter Clerk or a Dupont sort of wriggly sort of short one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he's like a, a Conor Murray or perhaps a, a Mike Phillips who make good runs from the back of the breakdown. I wouldn't say he's particularly quick ball. I, I wouldn't know how to describe him as a scrum half other than slow ball, which isn't really. He's not. He can box kick, but he's not exceptionally good at box kicking. I don't quite know what he brings the, another scrum half wooden with a bit something else yeah I mean he's got I mean you mentioned when he first came the thing, the thing about him was for a scrum half the size of him he's, he's for a scrum half he is big and you know I guess in some instances that that could be useful but you know I think generally from what you want when you think of the best scrum halves in the world he just doesn't fit really in terms of those attributes so you know I don't want to write players off 
just yet, but it seems to be one that just isn't, isn't working at the moment. And But then, I mean, it seems to be that, I don't know if Richards is going to be a chance by starting him more, or, you know, will, would Richards make the change and, and now have Stuart on, or is it deliberate that he's on to begin with, and the idea is to have Stuart on to have more pace later on where more players are tired? I don't know. That's obviously a decision for, for Richards to make. Um, if we kind of wrap up on this week and look forward to next week's Falcons, um, we've got Northampton, another team that seems to be able to beat anyone this season, but also they've seemed to be able to lose to anyone this season. So I think it entirely depends on which of the Falcons teams turns up next week, how we'll get on. Yeah, well, I think it'd be crucial in terms of what personnel we can put out. Um, no, I mean, the things with Northampton, sorry, rather, is that they've really started to pit form. Um, you know, it's been well remarked that they were pretty poor towards the end of last season they were poor at the start of this season they beat they drowned out win against Gloucester and now they seem to be just shooting up the league that's what a couple of wins does does for you this season um it's gonna be really tough for playing that probably the worst possible time but it, again it's winnable um, we've mentioned that if we turn up and you know we're, we're a bit accurate I think we we can the reason why we can't beat Northampton, I don't think they're any better than us at the moment. Even though, of course, we've had a couple of unfortunate defeats and they've had a couple of decent wins. Um, I think we're really close. It's really important as well because, you know, I think if we beat Northampton, we can start to look to cement ourselves in the top six. I think losing Northampton will be a, a major disappointment because the worry for me is we can start to sort of end up adrift of certain teams. And you don't want to just keep losing games week after week after week. And, It'll start to be a case of you know the great start we have had just ends up as a cushioner from finishing bottom or relegation rather than a platform to have a really exceptional season in the top half. So I think it, it is a big game actually. I think it's a it's a really could be a season defining game and a win there would be very very nice. I know we've whinged a moan about this week, but if you'd offered me a losing bonus point at the start of there, I'd have bitten your hand off. Um, what do you think would be a reasonable aim for next week? Do you think it's one point, two points? Four points? Five? I don't know, to be quite honest. I, even when you say you're going to slap me out of a one point and a bonus point today, I, I don't know, actually. Um, I mean, I, I think even if you tell me oh, we would lose today, I'm going to be a little bit disappointed, though a bit pleased with the bonus point. I, I don't know. North, again, because of Northampton, same with us, you don't know which team's going to turn up. Um, I think on the face of it, even if we did get two losing bonus points, I would be a little bit disappointed. I think we should be going down there to win. I think it's quite reasonable we should have that attitude. Um, and I think anything less than, than the win, I think we should be disappointed. Yeah, I think I'd echo that. Another disappointment this weekend was obviously the England match. We we said a lot of things in the past about Saracens players suitable to play in the Six Nations this year after not playing rugby for so long. Um, I feel a lot of Eddie Jones' other selections have maybe done a reputation as opposed to form. And I don't know, I just feel like there was very little in the way of desire, cohesion and just match awareness from a lot of the, the England team. Yeah, well, I mean, it was, I mean, it's absolutely shameful. I mean, it's the worst defeat would be in our lifetime, quite possibly the worst performance from England in our lifetime. Um, I mean, it's humiliating. Well, we I wouldn't go that far because we've got well, it's considering we were at home, considering who we were playing, it's our Six Nations to defend. I think it's got to be up there as one of the worst performances. It probably the worst result we've ever had. Uh, yeah, absolutely shameful beyond belief. And I'm getting really fed up with Jones actually because I think you know he does team talks for the opposition for them. You know, with stupid comments like "Oh, Scotland can't handle the pressure." Well, what pressure was on Scotland? They just have to turn up, give it a go. It's you know they they love to play 
England. It's 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 why they exist as a union to beat England. All the pressure was on them. And he just did the team talk for them with his ridiculous comments. Yeah, I wouldn't go quite as far as it was as bad as when we got thrashed by Australia in the late 90s. But certainly in the last um, couple of decades, I think one of our worst performances, if not the worst at Twickenham especially. And I was at, I was at Twickenham when there was the ridiculous match a couple of years ago when it was... 35 all or 42 all or whatever the final score was and um that that was a strange match but it just seemed like scotland want it so much more than england do and i know that's because they're plucky underdogs and all this and they're kind of uh, ingrained from birth to hate the english but you're an international player pulling on your country's jersey and it just seems like half the england team couldn't be asked yeah well i mean as i say the whole point of the scottish rugby team is to be england that that is why they exist that's why they've always existed and they probably, in many ways, don't care what happens with the Six Nations. They've beaten England away at Twickenham for the first time in 30 years or whatever it is, or even 40 years almost, and that's it for them. Um, yeah, I think a lot of the England players, as you say, there are a lot of Saracen selections, players who are in pre-season. They, never, they haven't played a game all, all season. You, already, you can always... I thought it was worrying where you started to have players saying, oh, well, they don't want to be in the bubble and, you know, that's how we're withdrawing from the squad. You know, you probably have players who have who either are like that and have left and just aren't that bothered, um, or you have players who have turned up because they feel like they probably should but aren't really that bothered. So you've got a combination. Well, I think it's three part. You've got a combination of the fact you have players who probably aren't that interested and a bit fed up, probably, of having to do all these international games. You've got players who are in the Saracen players are in pre-season. They haven't even played a competitive game all all season. And then you, you're playing against a Scotland team of you know ready to die out there to do anything to beat England. And thirdly, you, you've got players like dare I say you know your Johnny Mays who just have been poor this season in terms of the league. And as you say, if we pick purely on the reputation, now you know how how do you how are you expected to be successful at international level if you play if you pick players who just aren't playing well? And I think a combination of those three factors. And I mentioned. I think that the Jones comments are stupid as well. I do wonder about him going forward, actually, um, in terms because the tactics were dreadful as well. It was just continuation of the kicking we saw in the Autumn Nations Cup, which they got away with and they had no plan B. It was just kick it away, which is why we had 30% possession or something. And I think a combination of those factors kind of culminated in what was absolutely disgraceful defeat. Yeah, um, if we go through the Saracens players, Elliot Daly, absolutely rubbish. No point in him on the pitch. Owen Farrell didn't really add much, I don't think. I think even a Cipriani would have been better than him yesterday. Billy Vinopola, number eight, what did he add? We mentioned last week we can't believe that Simmons isn't being picked there. It's not just Simmons, there are many other English number eights that would have put in a better shift. He's not mobile at all. He can shove a bit and he can waddle around a breakdown. And he, he gains a yard in going forward. But sort of most number eights if they run into somebody. Then in the front row, Jamie George, once again, um, just... just Disappointing all over, really. Um, what what was the point in selecting all those players? Well, Runapola, for example, what, what's he done this season? Uh, play a few minutes in a defeat to Wheeling and get Simbund. You, you know, and he's played more than anyone for Saracens this season. Oh, sorry, yeah. The second row I was talking about was Itoji. Um Yes, he made a couple of turnovers or charged on a couple of kicks, but sorry, the, the reason he charged on those kicks, Mally Price, wasn't because he's some sort of exceptional superhuman. It's because... Ali Price takes this weird step before he does anything, and anyone that's six foot six and above is going to be in with a quite a high chance of charging down box kicks from him. And most second rows happen to be six foot six or more. And I, I, I know that commentators absolutely love him, but they never seem to talk about his complete lack of discipline and the stupid penalties he constantly gives away. Um, I've watched him 
quite closely for two or three years now, and he's forever get, getting sinbin and giving away needless penalties. He gave away um, a, a stupid sinbin penalty in the Highland Cup final at St James's Park a couple of years ago, and it, it just throughout his game, like yes, he's a big lad and he can play rugby all right, but it seems like he's picked purely on reputation, not on actual recent performance i agree with that actually because i mean i mean i remember you said maybe a year or two ago now about how you know he's always been an exceptional athlete but does he have sort of the rugby brain does he have the actual purely rugby ability and i think to be fair to him he has made great strides in that over the past year or so he genuinely has and i still think he's probably one of the best second rows in the world but yeah as you say he gives away far too many stupid penalties and his discipline is a real issue but it's not just him it's been a constant theme for england for you know for a good couple of years now, if not more of his constantly giving away penalties now generally we get away with it simply because the personnel on the day are actually very good and we just sort of bludgeon teams to death almost with the physicality but you know i think the thing with england is that it's all you know, it's all a bit of a sandcastle, really, in that they always seem to be just kind of a little, if they're a little bit off the boil, they're terrible. You know, it always, there's so many games where they kind of have played badly but gone away with it, and, and yesterday they didn't. And I think they, they it's so easy for them, like the World Cup final, when it matters, or on occasion, to just not turn up. But it's, they talk about wanting to be the best team in the world, and you, you can't be the best team in the world with performances like yesterday. Yeah, it's interesting you just say you want to bludgeon it. I see, I feel that the only times I've actually enjoyed watching England in the last few years, there was the first five minutes against New Zealand in the World Cup and the first 15 minutes against South Africa maybe three years ago now where we ended up throwing the game away from quite a good position. But apart from that, I can't really remember a spell of a match where I've actually enjoyed the style of rugby that we've played. It just seems to be that our tactics seem to be to kick it to the opposition, then beat them up, and then try and shove them over the try line. I don't feel that we really play running rugby anymore. It just seems to have been extinguished from what we've got to offer. Yeah, so I think, I mean, obviously I'm just guessing here, but a lot of our strengths is the, with England is, is the strength of the pack generally, which is why they try and sort of beat people up front and be physical about it and bludgeon them up front and whatever. The back seem to be... I have not as consistent. I know you sometimes have your dailies of Johnny Mays do something exceptional, but you know it's never it never looks that fluid in the backs. Um, and I think also with the game yesterday, when you look at the team selection, I thought there was a, you know the centres in particular. I mean Ollie Lawrence. I know obviously he sometimes does well for Worcester, but and it wasn't the best game from Javis Davies. It's terrible yesterday. Um, and, and you look at the personnel there. And they just don't seem to have sort of consistent, consistently poor performing in terms of, you know, performance playing for England in terms of their appearances for England. They're really in the centres, I don't think. You know, we swap it around with Joseph and Watson and whatnot. But then again, Watson, for example, he hasn't been particularly good for Bath this season where Bath are in the league. So... So as you say, you, they're picking people often on their reputation and they're just not, not good enough at the moment. I don't know quite how we can roll the dice again for next week, really, unless we bring people like Randall into the starting lineup, um, which I, I just cannot see Eddie Jones doing because it's almost an admission of defeat. I mean, I, I think they'll beat Italy. I mean, I think, I mean, my God, can you imagine if, if they lose well, to Italy? But I mean, it, but really, it, is this just a write off now in the Six Nations? I don't know, unless they. Similar to last year, where, yeah, they screwed up in the first game and then they kind of 
redeem it at the end. But I mean, they really need to just, I don't know. It's just, they need to obviously play a lot better, but there's obviously something very wrong there at the moment. And as I said, I don't know if it goes back to the fact that maybe they're just fed up of playing for England or they don't want to be in the bubble or just players just aren't playing that well. Eddie Jones at the end actually really annoyed me because in his interview post-match, he kept saying, Italy's our chance to get this right sort of thing. And two things. Firstly, you shouldn't have to take a match before you have the get-out-of-jail-free call that it's Italy the next week. And also, you can't play against Italy in the way you're going to play against a France or an Ireland because they're useless. And then finally, just how insulting is that to Italy, basically saying... It's going to be a walkover. We know it's going to be a walkover. And once again, he's given them a pre-match team talk. And the one thing that I can say is in England's favour is Scotland aren't going to win a Grand Slam. They're not good enough to. Therefore, we've got a bonus point this week. If we win our remaining matches, then we're going to win the Six Nations. It's in our hands. Might get a bit tricky mathematically towards the end of who's got what bonus points and points. But Scotland aren't going to win a Grand Slam. Therefore, if we win our four remaining games, we're going to be pretty much top of the table. Yeah, I mean, I guess... On a happy on a happier note, that that's true, um, but yeah, it, I mean, Jones does come up with these ridiculous comments, and I think also as well as what you mentioned there, the fact he was saying, you know, he's trying to do all the coaches figure deflecting the blame, saying, oh, you know, I didn't, oh well, I I just didn't prepare them well enough. It was all, all my fault, sort of thing. You mean, you know, get away, you know, it's just yeah, it probably is your fault to an extent, but. You know, I I want a coach. I want him to be saying, no, you know, yes, you know, the players didn't play that well. You know, we'll sort out in training, whatever. He just, it was just his comments from from start to finish, which is just stupid and you know, almost sycophantic. And uh, I know he gets a lot of criticism for being, you know, he's arrogant, so and so and whatnot. But sometimes he doesn't help himself. And I, and it, it and unfortunately, if you have a sort of big personality like that and it's negative, it really can help the opposition. And I, I yeah, and I think that just sort of summed it up really. And I think if, if well, I, I do think if we don't win the Six Nations, even though we've had a terrible start, we've got to, you've got to look at Jones. I think you know the book unfortunately stops. He picks the players. He train, you know, he's the one who coaches them. He's the one who carries out the training. You know, it's got to start, It's got to end with him. And do we re, you know, do we really want him leading us into the next World Cup if it's going to continue like this? I think we've moaned about England for quite a lot. Um, Scotland played reasonably well. I wouldn't say it's actually one of the best Scottish performances I've seen. I think we were incredibly poor, but what they did have was the desire to win it, and they didn't make that many errors. And the press has been saying that Scotland played wonderfully. I I feel like I've seen Scotland play better over the years against other teams in the Six Nations, but it's not been such a high-profile game. Um, I think what they just showed was that on the day, the better team wins, and they were the better team because they didn't make stupid errors. They had a strategy, and when they got ahead, they played sensibly. Yeah, well, I mean, they were, they were organised, they were up for it, the defence was really solid, but the main difference was, I think, the possession start. You know, the unforced errors England did, the way we just kicked it away all the time, just gave them the ball. If you if you have 70% of the ball, you know, on a close game, on the balance of our abilities, you're going to score more points. And I think that's really what it came down to. I don't think they were... Ex- defensively, they were very, very good, fine. Yeah. But going forward, I don't think they were anything exceptional. Uh, I mean, at the end, I mean, England obviously could have won it, Similar to us, it was almost like the Falcons, I guess, a bit today, but not quite as bad. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think the press always get very excited because you know Scotland beat England, but I agree with that that they weren't wonderful, and well, it was after taking, and we were just absolutely the, dreadful. The only, the only try scoring chances they really had was the try itself, mm-hmm. and that was from a kind of a an advantage, and they flung it wide. That there weren't many other times I thought 
anyway, Scotland are going to win here. Also, I mean, Scotland are going to score here. But they maintained the ball in midfield incredibly well, and we never really played with the ball in their half. So we're not going to score more points than them. Yeah, exactly that. The other Six Nations matches this weekend, France and Italy, no surprises. Like we've said in the past, I think Italy aren't getting any better, which is concerning. And I'm wondering how long it can be left to go on for, because it's not going to be long before Italy haven't won a Six Nations match in five or six years, which, (laughs) what is the point in that? And then um, Wales Island, a funny old one with Ireland going down to 14 men. Um, for 70 minutes of it and Wales made very hard work of a numerical advantage which in most circumstances you'd say they're going to walk it but they didn't and I don't know if you you saw at the end but well firstly Wales with 10 seconds to go kick the balls pull back to Ireland which brainless and stupid but they did it Um, Ireland then get a penalty got the pitch of it get another penalty and Billy Burns tries to kick for the corner and he kicks it dead and game over and if I'm honest, I think if that ball had ended up going into touch, Ireland would have probably won the line out and quite possibly scored and then converted it for the win. But it didn't happen and um, Wales, Wales came out of victors. Um, looking forward to next week's Six Nations. Um, as Eddie Jones has said, our chance to get back into it against Italy, I, I think anything less than five points there is completely unacceptable. The other games, Scotland are playing against Wales, um, which I think is going to be quite an interesting one because... If Scotland play like they did this week and Wales play like they did this week, I can see Scotland getting another at least four points, maybe five. And then Ireland-France, um, I think that one's going to tell whether France are going to be real competitors for this year's Six Nations. I think if, if France and Ireland play like they did this weekend, then France could um, make a few people's heads turn and um, reassess their, their betting slips, perhaps. Yeah, I think uh, France put a good performance next week. I think they'll be favourites, quite frankly. I, I mean, we said before, and it was probably going to be England or France, um, I think England's chance of taking a huge dent, both in terms of points and in terms of goodness knows what performance they're going to turn out for the rest of Six Nations. Um, I think, as it stands, my money would be on France now. Um, but yeah, I mean, next week will be a very much indication of that. So the Six Nations, I think, uh, if we do a quick overview of the table, obviously France are miles ahead because obviously um, thrashed Italy 50 points to 10. You've then got Wales um, after their win against Ireland. They've got the same points difference as Scotland, but obviously scored and conceded more. Therefore, they're ahead of them. Scotland in third place. Ireland in fourth for losing bonus point as are we. Then Italy is probably going to stay on zero for the whole lot, I think. Um, They might scrape a losing bonus point somewhere. But um, then if we move on to the Premiership roundup of the weekend's games, any matches that particularly stood out to you this weekend? Yeah, so I mean, some interesting results. I think um, we talked about, obviously, Northampton now on form, got a really good away win against Wasps. Not sure what's happening with Wasps at the moment, though they were actually down to that two men in the Simbin at one point. So I, uh, actually, no, uh, for that game, uh, Northampton obviously did pull ahead and Wasps had a real good fight back. But again, another win for Northampton. Um, Harlequins, another one who, like Northampton a couple of weeks ago, it was the end of the end of the world for them. Gusted had gone. Good solid win away against Bath after hammering Wasps a week before. Um, they're then now in the top four so it again just goes to show what a couple of wins can do for you um, Leicester Worcester was pretty close but Leicester pulled away I think Worcester 
are going to be struggling down there, I think. Um, real great chance for us in a couple of weeks' time with that one. Um, Gloucester put a really good show against London Irish, but London Irish's quality at the end and Gloucester's sort of inconsistency sort of did it for them with that one. Um, yeah, another five-point win for London Irish, which propels them ahead of us. But as I say before, the funny thing with their position is that they've actually lost more games of us but of course due to bonus points they're ahead of us and that just goes to show the importance of bonus points yeah and then as we've discussed this season it seems that anyone can beat anyone because the league leaders bristol on friday night got beaten 20 points to 13 by sale um sale seems to have managed to turn their slow start around and if i'm honest i think that they might be pushing up to be competitors for the the league not necessarily the little knockout tournaments at the end, but definitely the, the league table. They might end up pushing for the, the, the leader or the, the victory in that table at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I don't know a league that's been like this for the years, obviously, we've been watching. Um, usually you have one or two, you know, way at the top, and you have a group of two or three, usually us, Irish or Worcester, or whatever it is, uh, sort of fighting out at the bottom. But, yeah, genuinely, this year, anyone can, can beat anyone. Um, and, obviously, that's reflected the table by the fact it's so close. I mean, there we are in seventh, but we're only two points off fourth. You know, I guess there is a bit of a gap now because I think we're 10 or 11 from Gloucester at the bottom. Um, but for the rest of the table, um, certainly from, I think it's eight, about eight to maybe second, uh, eight or third, it's very, very close and only takes a couple of results going either way and you can see a lot of movement in the table. We're actually 12 points out of Gloucester, but all, all the same. Bristol are in the first with 30. Then you've got Exeter behind them on 28 and Sale on 27. This is when it starts getting really close. You've got Harlequins on 23, Northampton and London Irish on 22. We've got 21. Leicester and Wasps both have 20. Bath have 12. Worcester have 10. And Gloucester have 9. So there's definitely the top three have now got kind of a four-point cushion to fourth. You've then got from fourth on 23 points to ninth on 20 points. There's three points separating, what's that, um, six teams. And, yeah, if you were Harlequins, you, you win with a bonus point next week. You could feasibly go second if you've got absolutely stonking points difference. But similarly, if everyone beneath you wins and you lose, I don't know quite now, or wouldn't quite work out like that because of who's playing who, but you're only three points ahead of the the team in ninth. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I mean, from a Falcons perspective, um, as I say, we do have Northampton and Worcester as our next two games. I mean, we, we we talk about that we had such a tough start. That's now gone. That's done. And yes, you know, we've played with Bristol Exeters. Unfortunately, we've lost them both, only getting one point. London Irish are actually, in many ways, a bit of a dark horse because the amount of money they spent, the quality of personnel they actually have. Uh, you know, now we're playing Northampton, who I think are probably going to be our level. Very winnable game. And then Worcester, even though it is away, and I'm sure it will be tough, that is one we should mark as certainly one which we're looking at to win and that's that's eight you know optimistically let's say that's eight points and we could be top four again i mean you know so i think if we can look from our point of view this is a great opportunity for us to kind of get towards the top end of that top six and maybe look towards cementing a top six place i don't think there's much else to talk about other than an interesting side point that once again ealing beat saracens which is just quite amusing once again a friendly with Saracens with a hugely depleted squad, but um, it's just something to watch out for because everyone's saying, oh, Saracens are just going to get promoted back into the Premiership if if they abolish relegation or the Championship doesn't go ahead. I think Ealing are actually putting quite a strong case in now for 
for them being considered equal to other teams. They beat us pre-season. They've now beaten Saracens twice. Looking at it objectively, in a, I suppose they ever went to court or something, um, I don't quite know what legal precedent there would be, but they, they've got every right to say we're not just a shoo-in. The only thing is that they're not shelled in the Premiership and Saracens are. Well, I suppose it's in their hands. I mean, if they win the league, then <laughs> in many ways it'd be very, very difficult to deny them unless you go on the principle of the fact they're not a shareholder and their ground doesn't meet the requirements. But, I mean, that's something else. But it, it's in their hands. I still think Saracens will, will win the league. I just, you know, I know it's just a couple of friendly defeats. I just can't see how they wouldn't. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. And yeah, it's in Ealing's hands. I mean, if, if they finish top of the league, then or in whatever funny format that they are doing it in, then, you know, actions speak louder than words, I suppose. Without anything else to wrap up on this week, um, I think we'll say cheerio. So goodbye from me. Bye, everyone.